0: There's a well-known product management phrase that you know, months of programming can save you days of critical thinking. And the idea there is that you know, how do we talk about it? How do we have a conversation that saves us time, that avoids you having to program anything at all because we know it's the wrong direction? So a little bit of planning, a little bit of discussion, um, a little bit of model making can usually yeah. elevate the conversation so that you can have a better conversation.
1: Hello and welcome to Bringing Design Closer and This Is Hate CD. My name is Jerry Scullion and I'm the founder of This Is Hate CD. I'm a service designer, educator, design coach and podcaster based in the wonderful city of Dublin, Ireland. Now our goal here is to have conversations that inspire and help move the dial forward for organizations to become more human centered in their approach to solving complex business and societal problems. A huge thank you to the people who have subscribed to become a patron over the last number of weeks. It's truly appreciated. And my goal here with having this model in place is to meet the needs meet the costs to produce everything on this is hcd and we're still quite a distance away from doing so but every little helps if you want to learn more about doing this you can check out this is cdcom for more information in this conversation i caught up in the second part of my conversation with scott jensen to explore how designers can actively get more involved in the free and open source movement that we spoke about in episode one of this conversation we speak more about why this is of such an interest to Scott, and he gives awesome advice to others who want to get involved. If you haven't listened to episode one on this one, you can go back There's a link in the show notes. It's well worth listening. It's a really good episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Let's get straight into it. Scott, I'm delighted to welcome back. Um, you are um, one of the most listened to podcasts of 2022. Um, From last year, we had a a great conversation about Fuzz. I'm delighted to welcome you back. If you just dialed into this episode, folks, and you haven't listened to episode one, it'll be in the show notes. I thoroughly recommend listening to Scott, especially because we're going to be building on that conversation and talking a little bit more about free and open source software. Um, We call that Fuzz. So if you hear us talking about Fuzz in this, um, that is what we were referring to. So Scott, for people who are uh, more familiar with your work, Maybe give us a bite size on uh, what you're up to at the moment.
0: At the moment, I am working, uh, I'm, I'm semi-retired, and I'm working yeah. on ways in which I can get more actively involved. So I have got a couple of irons in the fire, and I hope to make an announcement in a few weeks as to the next project I'm starting.
1: Yeah, but you, you've you been so kind of prolific in your career over the last 20 30 years in especially in the space of user experience it's really interesting to hear your take on Foz in particular. So I'm going to start off the the conversation here. I want to understand why Scott cares so much about fozz. What is it about fozz that really um, sort of piques your interest?
0: Sure. Uh, what I will also just say up the top is that open source has many names, right? Open source, free and open source, FOSS, and free and um, and also F-L-O-S-S. So there's many ways referring to it. I might just say open source just to be be more clear. Um, the main reason I'm, I was attracted to it is that I have done quite a bit of research and work into next generation UX. And I have found that in the commercial operating systems, there is very little appetite for kind of moving and trying new things. So I really wanted to go to open source to say, do some of this work and to say, let's just build something something out. Let's try it out. And when I started in open source, I just went to a couple of small projects just to get started, just to try it out. And by the way, I maintained an open source project at Google. Uh, So I was doing it as a maintainer, but, but as trying to do UX and open source, I had so much trouble and so much drama that I ended up talking about it and writing about it. And that's where I actually found myself getting a lot of traction. So I just gave my third talk at Fossback last week on UX and open source. So I've been, and people seem to want to talk about it more, so I'm finding a bit mm. of an audience there. But I'll say I'm kind of reluctantly talking about it because I want to get to the research, right? But I'm yeah. talking about it as a general point because there just seems to be so much to talk about
1: now, you just mentioned there you just dropped it in that you were doing a talk at FOSSPAC, and I was the third one, okay. So this was a trilogy. It's like um the George Lucas of Star Wars. The first one'
0: <laughs> over- overstating it just a bit. but yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so you've just done return of the jedi um so the first one let, let's talk about the first one the first talk you did i understand was really discussing the problem now let, let's talk a little bit more around that what what problem were we focusing on in that first talk
0: it was just how ux people are like trying to get in and they just keep bouncing off of it and there's a whole series of things that kind of prevent UX people from getting involved. And uh, if you do get in and someone asks you for something, 90% of the time they're like, hey, we're so glad you're here. We would love for you to rework all of our icons. And that's so, like, like, okay, you know, icons are fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but like, there's so much more to UX than just icons. Uh, the comment yeah. I make in my first talk is, imagine you're, as a programmer, imagine that the only thing people wanna to talk to you about is unit tests. Unit tests are great. You need to do unit tests, but if you just, if you only talk about unit tests, it gets a little old. And so my point in the first talk was to say, UX is bigger than icons and what does that mean? And how do we do that? So that's what I I just wanted people to understand why UX people were bouncing.
1: Yeah, and what kind of feedback were you getting after the first talk at Fossback about um, trying to educate the, the Fuzz community or the open source community about what user experience or what design can be for them?
0: I think if, if there's one thing I have learned, because as a UX person, you understand that your first job is to ask questions, right? To not come in with answers, to try not to be arrogant, which is hard for me sometimes, but the idea is to just ask questions. And so yeah. I, I've discovered that open source is huge and many different types. And so there is no one size fits all. And so just understanding that and realizing that a lot of projects don't want to do UX and that's perfectly fine. Um, And some of them want more of it. And so to me, it's just all about having a conversation and to Mm. say, let's talk about it and see if we can find ways to improve it. So I've got good, good traction on that first one, which is why I felt it was helpful to follow up with additional talks.
1: So for people out there listening, this episode is really focused about... Call to arms, really, for the design community. If they want to get involved in this uh, in this new world of the open source world, we want to figure out some pragmatic ways that you can actually get involved. Okay, now in the in terms of engaging with these with these businesses and these softwares, um, what, what advice do you give to people who you meet who might want to offer their help? because if you've got organizations there are in software uh, businesses and um, they, they kind of think of user experience as just being iconography or whatever it is and um, they're not really going to be able to put out job descriptions that are really going to resonate with the more mature um, designers out there so how do you imagine what's the best way for designers to approach that um, to get in and also what's the, what's the type of typical engagement model there are they are they able to pay, or is it um, equity? What does that look like in your in your experience?
0: I, I'll go back to my last point, which is to say, there's such a wide variety. Yeah, I mean, um, there are some um, projects, for example, that will uh, there's government programs, for example, that will pay for UX designers uh, to do consulting for free. So I'm talking to a few on that right now. Um, there's a lot of open source uh that is fairly well funded like say pen pot or audacity for example yeah. um and there's a, a lot of things that are entirely volunteer so hmm. because it's such a wide landscape i don't think there's a simple answer to that yeah. but to answer your original question which is what do you want to do As you how do you approach it i would argue that there is enough out there that you should go to the project and Make sure the project says the word UX somewhere on its contribution guidelines. You know, that there's asking for UX because there are projects that are much more forward looking. So my my last talk said, Hmm. open source has got such a black eye. So many people say open software has terrible UX. And there are some good examples of that. But I do believe that there are some open source projects that have got great UX. And I called out like Audacity or Metamuse. Um, and the operating systems like Gnome and Endless are good other goods examples. So mm. there's lots of projects out there that are trying. And so look around and try to find a project that clearly asks for UX. And if you don't see it, then don't waste your time. Because yeah. I have tried to help out projects that didn't have mature UX, and it was really painful. So yeah. go to the good ones.
1: Yeah. Okay. Fair Fair enough. That's that's solid advice. Um, so we'll put a link to some of those ones that you just mentioned there into the show notes as well. That last talk that you were speaking about in in the sort of prelude to the conversation, you focus mostly around culture. Tell us a little yes. bit more around the, the topic and maybe expand a little bit more around what you mean by the culture.
0: Well... Part of the issue I've been having is I have been slowly getting an audience in social media. You know, I've switched mostly from Twitter to Mastodon these days. so I've been getting a lot of really great conversations on Mastodon. And whenever I do make comments, I tend to get a lot of reply guys, you know, in the comments that kind of take me to task. And people keep telling me to understand that those people are not necessarily the entire open source community. But I did get a lot of comments about you know, centralized planning is bad and, you know, it should all be, it all should be bottom up. And so I was trying to just tackle that question, especially given the fact that I interviewed about these eight of these companies to see how they were doing UX and they were all doing planning. And when I mentioned that, I got an awful lot of very strong comments on Mastodon about how evil planning was. And I'm like, guys, planning happens all the time, right? If you submit a, a, a change to an open source project, a PR, yeah. Um, it gets rejected. Okay, being rejected, or it can be rejected. That's a form of planning. It's just micro planning. And so my point is, you guys are planning. You just don't like to call it that. So let's realize that, effectively, planning is a floating point, not a Boolean. If you don't do it, if you don't do it. There's levels of planning. So yeah. let's talk about lightweight, simple planning. And realize that you, if you move the conversation upstream from the code check-in, you will get better quality discussions you will save an awful lot of effort, and you're all of a sudden your UX designers are no longer arrogant. I heard that a lot. UX designers are arrogant, and I would argue they're not necessarily arrogant. They just don't understand the culture or the constraints. Mm. And so by having these conversations earlier, you get UX designers that get it, that understand what you're after, and they pr- produce solutions that you want as a maintainer. So that's what I mean by culture: is yeah. realizing that UX is a team sport. It's interesting because
1: you mentioned that some of these projects are kind of side of table, they're volunteer based, and a lot of the developers that are working in those kind of projects are more than likely really talented developers. They're coming from established organizations where they are encountering design and they're encountering designers. So for them to bring that sort of perspective of where design is at into their side project, is kind of really um it's 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 interesting to hear you say that like you know where do you think it's coming from is it coming from agile this whole kind of um mentality of uh being able to do things on on the fly and just working with each other and and well what's what's really causing this what's what's underpinning that uh, dislike and disregard for the craft
0: well, I, I want to be really careful. I I don't think that the entire open source community is like this at all. Yeah, I absolutely. I I, th- I think what I'm noticing is what we see, frankly, in political discourse that social mm. media tends to magnify the stronger voices, the more vo- you know, the more yeah. angry voices. So I do think that maybe I'm just talking to grumpy people online, and I really have to be careful, you know, as yeah. to how I interpret that. So I would push back a little bit in your talk to say, I actually think that there's a lot of really good open source projects that really yeah. want to do the right thing and are really working well. And that's what I mean by the fact that we should just realize, like, head towards the good projects. Like, yeah. I, I kind of don't want to talk about the bad projects because they're going to do their own thing. And no, I don't want me. to argue with them. I'm going to be like, hey, the projects that care about UX, that, do our, that are doing more planning, they're going to do awesome. So let's just focus on them.
1: Yeah. I have a really, um, Adam Lawrence, who's is a good friend of mine from this service design doing, he has a great phrase where he calls the lumpers and the splitters. And there's always going to be people out there who who really, you know, split atoms and really focus on on the wrong things, and with them there's the lumpers—the people who really are on your side, who get it. They're part of the the same sort of vision. So I like what you're saying there in terms of like let's focus on the the lumpers. You don't focus on the splitters in that analogy, folks. So um, let, let's talk a little bit more around uh, that word that you mentioned there a second ago. It begins at P and ends in planning. Planning. I want to <laughs> understand. <laughs> I want to understand um, where you feel the the pressure point is there and where the pushback is in planning okay and, and how how can we elaborate uh the conversation around that
0: i think what there is some belief that it's better to just simply program it up see what it's like and talk about it and so yeah. there's this uh, a belief that if you talk too much you're going to bike shed you know the whole bike shedding argument um, there's nope. a Wikipedia article on bike-shedding if you want to look that up.
1: Okay. Um,
0: and, 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 and I want to agree with it in spirit, but the mm-hmm. idea that you would stampede into a bunch of coding isn't always necessarily the right answer. And so mm-hmm. there's like two wrong extremes. To run off and program the whole thing and see what happens and to run off and bike-shed and, and, and analyze it to death. And so UX designers are lumped into the analyze category and and developers are lumped into the often program. And obviously the answer is somewhere in between. There's a well-known product management phrase that, you know, months of programming can save you days of critical thinking. Hmm. And the idea there is that, you know, how do we talk about it? How do we have a conversation that saves us time that avoids you having to program anything at all, because we know it's the wrong direction. So, A little bit of planning, a little bit of discussion, um, a little bit of model making can usually elevate the conversation so that you can have a a better conversation.
1: It's usually the focus on prototyping and the understanding that what they're actually creating is a prototype. Uh, That that sort of discourse is really powerful when you have the developer on board because the, the reason why I, what i like to say to developers is like would you like to be building something and knowing it's the wrong thing and knowing that you're gonna to have to flush it down the toilet in six months and they're like no and i'm like okay well let's do the least amount of work that's going to give us the most amount of reward back by prototyping and, and to, exactly. to lean into the service design mindset as the first shitty drafts and we really lean into that whole kind of thing of saying Listen, look we're we're not putting much skin into the game here we're just trying to get some experiments we just want to try and see what works and what doesn't work and having those kind of conversations versus talking from designer speak like designer ease no. really really goes an awful long way um so in terms of your talk you spoke about culture and planning okay and I know you mentioned the reply guys which I've never heard before but I really like Because you paint a nice picture of these uh, people just constantly replying. Um, What was the the questions and what was the feedback that came back from the talk, um, the the recent talk at Fuzzback?
0: Well, because it was virtual, um, and most people were actually in the conference themselves. Unfortunately, um, I got very little feedback. So um, I I am hoping that once it goes live on YouTube, which should be in a day or two, um, we'll get a lot lot, lot more. By the way, I just want to add to the last comment about prototyping. Um, One of the ways I think as a designer is that you try to speak the developer's language. And I think, again, everybody's heart is in the right place right? Mm. It's, it's really important to be generous in your conversations um, and always assume best intentions. So when the, the, when a programmer wants to go off and code, I don't disagree with their desires. All I say is there's ways of prototyping that is faster than compiling code. Yeah. Right. And so it's like wireframes or whatever you want to come up with. So I'm saying is, you know what? I want to prototype too, but I can prototype a hell of a lot faster than you. Yeah. Um, and so let's try to do these really fast, sketchy things and just see where the conversation goes. And then we can talk about progress. So it's about everybody wanting the same thing, but just having slightly different ways of doing it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's also the fidelity. I mean, using fidelity as a as a lever to really enable conversations. If it's really high fidelity and it's in code, people will believe that it's finished and it's polished and it's ready to be shipped. And um, the quality of the feedback that you get back is is much lower than yep. if it's a paper form or whatever it is. So so leaning into that is a really it's a really solid well, um, way to approach. And it.
0: one of the things I do so I, I do mentoring on ADP list, which is a UX design mentoring yeah, program. True. And one of the comments I was I make often is that if your manager or your company is constantly demanding high fidelity mockups, you've got a problem. Yeah. Right. Because you're going to yeah. be, I mean, you can do it, but you're just be wasting so much time.
1: Absolutely. you are going around in circles. So, so, Scott, like, you know, what in terms of the, the designers that are out there that are listening, I know several who have said to me, like, they listened to that and they wanted to get involved. Are there any job boards out there where you may be able to point people to, or how can they find these, uh, these opportunities? Uh, I know you mentioned about you know, searching and then looking for the word UX and, and so forth. But do you know of any resources that are out there that, um, that designers listening could actually just go to and see if there's a, a jobs board that might be a handy well, place to start?
0: There is um, a small uh, uh, website called opensourcedesign.net, mm. um, which is um, definitely a, a, a start. Um, their mm. jobs board isn't very active, um, but they have a few small things to get started. And mm. um, that's one place to start. Um, and uh, it's, it's a nice community there. And I think that they're, yeah. they're trying hard to do that. But um, I definitely think that there is um, a definite need there uh, to be able to have more ways for people to do that. Uh, so I, I think that, that um, there is no strong answer to give to you on that one, unfortunately.
1: That's okay. If you if you hear of any other jobs and you want me to share them in the newsletter, we can always put them in. This is Hate City Newsletter because it's it's something I believe in. I love the idea of open source software being much better. Okay, It's better for, for everyone. It challenges those conventions of capitalism, which I really, really like. And ultimately, it, it kind of betters us as a practice as well, I believe. Like, you know, like Penpot, when I looked at it afterwards when we spoke to you the last time, couldn't believe it i couldn't believe yeah. that some of this stuff is just available there we don't get to see it in our feeds surprise surprise in social media because you know they don't have these massive budgets of marketing spend to to push when they're competing against the adobes or any of these other huge uh, design platforms so um Scott, like, you know, in terms of what you're going to be, you know, working on next, you, you just gave your Return of the Jedi talk, your your last talk of <laughs> Um Where do you see your efforts being um, best placed in the next six to 12 months in this space? Because you're, you're a design well, veteran, as you like to say. I don't like the word veteran, but you're mega experienced in design coming from Google and Apple and Symbian. Um, where, where do you think all that experience can be best leveraged?
0: Well, that's a, yeah. that's my own personal journey. And, um, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to find a place where I can feel like I'm having an impact. And like I said, I, I don't have anything to announce just yet, but okay. what I will say is I think that there are a few programs out there that are trying to do the right thing. I don't have them off the top of my head, yeah. so I will give them to you afterwards and you can put them in the notes. Um, mm-hmm. I believe that there is, uh, a, um, a pro, a, there's a program in Europe I will link to uh, that is doing some work. So I, I would just argue that um, you have to find what you want to do. So uh, so for example, um, if there is a utility that you like and you want to help out, that is awesome, right? But at the same time, last year, I actually went with a company called Ink and & Switch and mm. they do open source research. Uh and trying to advance UX. And so we did a project on coming up with kind of a decentralized version of Google Docs. And our mm. paper was just published two weeks ago. Oh. Um, and so that was an example of me doing research with a small group of dedicated people. Um, I will admit that it was paid work. Um, and, and uh but all the research is open, all the code is open, and the, the goal is to build out these technologies. So that was one project I was really glad I did. Mm. And I'm always looking for projects like that because there's supporting open source, which feels like regular production work, but done through the culture of open source. And then there's what I'm trying to find, which is more open source research. You know, we're kind of pushing the edge and that's a little harder to find. And that's something that Mm. I'm still exploring.
1: It's interesting because being able to do that work um, it's really interesting, okay, but it comes somewhat and this is not speaking about you, but from a place of privilege being able to do that stuff working on it freely
0: oh I completely agree
1: so like w- w- with people out there um who are listening and they want to do it, you know many people myself included need to um work on stuff that that brings money unfortunately in, into the situation yeah, totally we with these organizations, what's what's the end game? Apart from, and I know you're going to be, I know I know the answer straight away when you're going to say that. With the end game, um, is it a case where the bigger organizations tend to look at these, uh, and either take the the business and and try and procure it, or is it a case of just trying to fly under the radar? And look at a, at a at a way to commercialize it further down the track.
0: So um, there is a whole if you if you search for the word open core, open um, core, any, uh, you you'll find I think there's a Wikipedia article about it and there's a couple of yeah. articles about it. And so Penpot, for example, is that way, um, yeah. which is a, there's a group of people that are funded that have money that hire people. It's a company, but right. everything that they do is open source. Right. Okay. And um, and then there's projects that are entirely volunteer driven. And I would argue that there is, and this needs to be discussed more in the community, but that mm. the funded projects that I interviewed tended yeah. to have much better user experience, practice and maturity than the volunteer ones, Right. which is not a surprise. And yeah. it's also not a surprise that a lot of the reply guys hate the open funding model thinking that it's not pure. Right. And I don't, that's a, that's a philosophical conversation. I mean, that's at least a two pint conversation and we need to be careful about getting into the details of that one. But what I will say is that there are companies that are, uh, or like say, for example, the blogging platform ghost, you know, another really good product, uh, completely open source, and they make money by doing a server on top. Uh, Nabucasa is a company that's doing an IOT service, which I think is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have a completely open-source model for controlling devices in your home. All the data is stored locally, goes to nowhere in the cloud, you're entirely in control, but they have a little service that you pay for, five bucks a month, that funds the mm-hmm. entire work operation. So this of idea of having everything be done in an open-source way, but having a side gig that pays for it, I think is a very powerful model.
1: Yeah. And it
0: doesn't produce billions of dollars, but it produces enough that, the, that you can have yeah. five to 10 people. And so part of what I think people need to do is when you are looking for jobs, just see if they're, they have an open source component to them, right? You don't mm. have to be Linux, you know, which is kind of like the ultimate you know, example yeah. of pure open source. There, there's an awful lot of smaller operations that are doing variations of this um, that might be worthwhile to people to check out.
1: Okay. Now that's good. Cause that, that's, I know it was one of the burning questions, from the last um, episode that we did, like, okay, I'd, l- I'd like to do it, but at the same time, you know, I got bills to pay. And I was like, okay, well, I'll ask ask Scott. Now, before we wrap up this conversation, um, you you on Mastodon are one of the most prol- prolific Mastodoners, okay, um, <laughs> in terms of being on there and talking and sharing content. Who do you look to in this space to also follow? Absolutely. If anyone's on Mastodon, follow Scott Jensen. Fantastic. But who else do you follow in this space to really stay up to date on it?
0: Um, I would argue that there is just a ton of people out there. Um, what, what's, what I like about Mastodon is that you can follow hashtags. And okay. uh, so I would just follow hash open source and okay. hash UX or UX design. And then you have, you're have you exposed to the whole panoply of people that are, are having the discussion. And what I like again about the, the masked on web client is that I actually have uh, follow a hashtag that has open source and UX. So therefore mm-hmm. I can get a subset of the posts and I can see what people are talking about. And that's where a lot of the good discussion happens.
1: Okay, Scott. Is there anything else you want to cover off before we wrap up this episode? Or are you, you happy enough that we've covered off the main topics?
0: I think we've covered you know most of them. I just, I just want to end up by stressing that, as I said in the beginning, open source is huge and it has a wide variety of things. And I don't want anyone coming away thinking that I had a simplistic answer for any particular thing in open source, but to say, depending on what side of the elephant you're talking about there's a different answer so yeah, it's yeah, just it's, it's it's a huge space
1: yeah absolutely um again listen look scott thanks for making time for the myself and the listeners on this is hate cd as i said the, the first episode that we did was really really popular and i know a lot of people always love to hear from you so we'll put a link to your own website into the show notes as well for people to stay up to date with Everything that Scott is doing and um also to the Mastodon as well. So I encourage people to get on Mastodon, get away from that sewer of Twitter that I like to call it at the moment. Um and get over onto Mastodon, folks. That's where all the interesting and all the nice people seem to be living these days.
0: Scott, all the cool kids. So
1: much- <laughs> and all the cool kids. Scott, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciated your vulnerability and your openness about chatting about
0: this topic. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: there you go folks i hope you enjoyed that episode and if you enjoyed it and want to listen to more why not visit thisishcd.com where you can learn more about what we're up to and also explore our courses whilst you're there thanks again for listening